Chapter Eleven of Allan and the Holy Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Allan and the Holy Flower by H. Rider Haggard. Chapter Eleven: The Coming of Dogeetah. The sunset that day was like the sunrise, particularly fine. Although, as in the case of the tea, I remembered little of it till afterwards. In fact, thunder was about, which always produces grand cloud effects in Africa. The sun went down like a great red eye, over which there dropped suddenly a black eyelid of cloud with a fringe of purple lashes. "'That's the last I shall see of you, my old friend,' I thought to myself, "'unless I catch you up presently.' The gloom began to gather. The king looked about him, also at the sky overhead, as though he feared rain, then whispered something to Babemba, who nodded and strolled up to my post. "'Wait, lord,' he said. The elephant wishes to know if you are ready, as presently the light will be very bad for shooting. No, I answered with decision, not until half an hour after sundown, as was agreed. Babemba went to the king and returned to me. White lord, the king says that a bargain is a bargain, and he will keep to his word. Only you must not blame him if the shooting is bad, since of course he did not know that the night would be so cloudy, which is not usual at this time of year. It grew darker and darker, till at length we might have been lost in a London fog. The dense masses of the people looked like banks, and the archers, flitting to and fro as they made ready, might have been shadows in Hades. Once or twice lightning flashed and was followed after a pause by the distant growling of thunder. The air, too, grew very oppressive. Dense silence reigned. In all those multitudes no one spoke or stirred. Even Sammy ceased his howling, I suppose because he had become exhausted and fainted away, as people often do just before they are hanged. It was a most solemn time. Nature seemed to be adapting herself to the mood of sacrifice, and making ready for us a mighty pall. At length I heard the sound of arrows being drawn from their quivers, and then the squeaky voice of Imbauzi saying, "'Wait a little, the cloud will lift. There is light behind it, and it will be nicer if they can see the arrows coming.' The cloud did begin to lift very slowly, and from beneath it flowed a green light like that in a cat's eye. "'Shall we shoot, Imbauzi?' asked the voice of the captain of the archers. "'Not yet, not yet, not till the people can watch them die.' The edge of the cloud lifted a little more. The green light turned to a fiery red thrown by the sunk sun, and reflected back upon the earth from the dense black cloud above. It was as though all the landscape had burst into flames, while the heaven over us remained of the hue of ink. Again the lightning flashed, showing the faces and staring eyes of the thousands who watched, and even the white teeth of a great bat that flittered past. That flash seemed to burn off an edge of the lowering cloud, and the light grew stronger and stronger, and redder and redder. Imbauzi uttered a hiss like a snake. I heard a bowstring twang, and almost at the same moment the thud of an arrow striking my post just above my head. Indeed, by lifting myself I could touch it. I shut my eyes and began to see all sorts of queer things that I had forgotten for years and years. My brain swam and seemed to melt into a kind of confusion. Through the intense silence I thought I heard the sound of some animal running heavily, 
much as a fat bull eland does when it is suddenly disturbed someone uttered a startled exclamation which caused me to open my eyes again the first thing i saw was the squad of savage archers lifting their bows evidently that first arrow had been a kind of trial shot the next looking absolutely unearthly in that terrible and ominous light was a tall figure seated on a white ox shambling rapidly towards us along the open roadway that ran from the southern gate of the market-place of course i knew that i dreamed for this figure exactly resembled brother john there was his long snowy beard there in his hand was his butterfly net with the handle of which he seemed to be prodding the ox only he was wound about with wreaths of flowers as were the great horns of the ox and on either side of him and before and behind him ran girls also wreathed with flowers it was a vision nothing else and i shut my eyes again awaiting the fatal arrow shoot screamed imbozwi nay shoot not shouted babemba dogeetah is come a moment's pause during which i heard arrows falling to the ground then from all those thousands of throats a roar that shaped itself to the words dogeetah dogeetah is come to save the white lords i must confess that after this my nerve which is generally pretty good gave out to such an extent that i think i fainted for a few minutes during that faint i seemed to be carrying on a conversation with mavovo though whether it ever took place or i only imagined it i am not sure since i always forgot to ask him he said or i thought he said to me and now macumazahan my father what have you to say does my snake stand upon its tail or does it not answer i am listening to which i replied or seemed to reply mavovo my child certainly it appears as though your snake does stand upon its tail still i hold that all this is a fantasy that we live in a land of dream in which nothing is real except those things which we cannot see or touch or hear that there is no me and no you and no snake at all nothing but a power in which we move that shows us pictures and laughs when we think them real whereon mavova said or seemed to say ah at last do you touch the truth o macumazahan my father all things are a shadow and we are shadows in a shadow but what throws the shadow o macumazahan my father why does dogeetah appear to come hither riding on a white ox and why do all these thousands think that my snake stands so very stiff upon its tail i'm hanged if i know i replied and woke up there without doubt was old brother john with a wreath of flowers i noted in disgust that they were orchids hanging in a bacchanalian fashion from his dinted sun helmet over his left eye he was in a furious rage and reviling bowsy who literally crouched before him and i was in a furious rage and reviling him what i said i do not remember but he said his white beard bristling with indignation while he threatened bowsy with the handle of a butterfly net you dog you savage whom i saved from death and called brother what were you doing to these white men who are in truth my brothers and to their followers were you about to kill them oh if so i will forget my vow i will forget the bond that binds us and don't pray don't said bowsy 
it is all a horrible mistake i am not to be blamed at all it is that witch doctor imbauzi whom by the ancient law of the land i must obey in such matters he consulted his spirit and declared that you were dead also that these white lords were the most wicked of men slave traders with spotted hearts who came hither to spy out the mazitu people and to destroy them with magic and bullets then he lied thundered brother john and he knew that he lied yes yes it is evident that he lied answered bowsey bring him here and with him those who serve him now by the light of the moon which was shining brightly in the heavens for the thunder-clouds had departed with the last glow of sunset soldiers began an active search for mbauzi and his confederates of these they caught eight or ten all wicked-looking fellows hideously painted and adorned like their master but mbauzi himself they could not find i began to think that in the confusion he had given us the slip when presently from the far end of the line for we were all still tied to our stakes i heard the voice of sammy hoarse it is true but quite cheerful now saying mr quatermain in the interests of justice will you inform his majesty that the treacherous wizard for whom he is seeking is now peeping and muttering at the bottom of the grave which was dug to receive my mortal remains i did inform his majesty and in double quick time our friend imbauzi was once more fished out of a grave by the strong arms of babemba and his soldiers and dragged into the presence of the irate bauzi loose the white lords and their followers said bauzi and let them come here so our bonds were undone and we walked to where the king and brother john stood the miserable imbauzi and his attendant doctors huddled in a heap before them who is this said bowsey to him pointing at brother john is it not he whom you vowed was dead imbauzi did not seem to think that the question required an answer so bowsey continued what was the song that you sang in our ears just now that if dogeetah came you would be ready to be shot to death with arrows in the place of these white lords whose lives you swore away was it not again imbauzi made no answer although babemba called his attention to the king's query with a vigorous kick then bowsey shouted by your own mouth you are condemned o liar and that shall be done to you which you have yourself decreed adding almost in the words of elijah after he had triumphed over the priests of baal take away these false prophets let none of them escape say you not so o people ay roared the multitude fiercely take them away not a popular character in bowsey stephen remarked to me in a reflective voice well he is going to be served hot on his own toast now and serve the brute right who is the false doctor now mocked mavovo in the silence that followed who is about to sup on arrowheads o painter of white spots and he pointed to the mark that imbauzi had so gleefully chalked over his heart as a guide to the arrows of the archers now seeing that all was lost the little humpbacked villain with a sudden twist caught me by the legs and began to plead for mercy so piteously did he plead that being already softened by the fact of our wonderful escape from those black graves my heart was melted in me i turned to ask the king to spare his life 
there was little hope that the prayer would be granted for i saw that bausi feared and hated the man and was only too glad of the opportunity to be rid of him imbausi however interpreted my movement differently since among savages the turning of the back always means that a petition is refused then in his rage and despair the venom of his wicked heart boiled over he leapt to his feet and drawing a big carved knife from among his witch-doctor's trappings sprang at me like a wild cat shouting at least you shall come too white dog most mercifully mavovo was watching him for that is a good zulu saying which declares that wizard is wizard's feet with one bound he was on him just as the knife touched me it actually pricked my skin though without drawing blood which was fortunate as probably it was poisoned he gripped imbausi's arm in his grasp of iron and hurled him to the ground as though he were but a child after this of course all was over come away i said to stephen and to brother john this is no place for us so we went and gained our huts without molestation and indeed quite unobserved for the attention of everyone in Beza town was fully occupied elsewhere. From the market-place behind us rose so hideous a clamour that we rushed into my hut and shut the door to escape or lessen the sound. It was dark in the hut, for which I was really thankful, for the darkness seemed to soothe my nerves. Especially was this so when Brother John said, "'Friend, Alan Quatermain, and you, young gentleman, whose name I don't know, I will tell you what I think I never mentioned to you before, that, in addition to being a doctor, I am a clergyman of the American Episcopalian Church. Well, as a clergyman, I will ask your leave to return thanks for your very remarkable deliverance from a cruel death. By all means, I muttered for both of us, and he did so in a most earnest and beautiful prayer. Brother John may or may not have been a little touched in the head at this time of his life, but he was certainly an able and a good man. Afterwards, as the shrieks and shouting had now died down to a confused murmur of many voices, we went and sat outside under the projecting eaves of the hut, where I introduced Stephen Summers to Brother John. "'And now,' I said, "'in the name of goodness, where do you come from, tied up in flowers like a Roman priest at a sacrifice, and riding on a bull like a lady called Europa? And what on earth do you mean by playing us such a scurvy trick down there in Durban, leaving us without a word after you had agreed to guide us to this hellish hole?' Brother John stroked his long beard and looked at me reproachfully. "'I guess, Alan,' he said in his American fashion, there is a mistake somewhere. To answer the last part of your question first, I did not leave you without a word. I gave a letter to that lame old Greek gardener of yours, Jack, to be handed to you when you arrived. Then the idiot either lost it or lied to me as Greek as well, or he forgot all about it. That is likely. I ought to have thought of that, Alan, but I didn't. Well, in that letter I said that I would meet you here, where I should have been six weeks ago awaiting you. Also I sent a message to Bowsey to warn him of your coming in case I should be delayed, but I suppose that something happened to it on the road. Why did you not wait and come with us like a sensible man? Alan, as you ask me straight out, I will tell you, although the subject is one of which I do not care to speak. I knew that you were going to journey by Kilwa. Indeed, it was your only route, with a lot of people and so much baggage, and I did not wish to visit Kilwa. 
He paused, then went on. A long time ago, nearly twenty-three years to be accurate, I went to live at Kilwa as a missionary with my young wife. I built a mission station and a church there, and we were happy and fairly successful in our work. Then one evil day the Swahili and other Arabs came in Daos to establish a slave-dealing station. I resisted them, and the end of it was that they attacked us, killed most of my people, and enslaved the rest. In that attack I received a cut from a sword on the head. Look, here is the mark of it. And drawing his white hair apart, he showed us a long scar that was plainly visible in the moonlight. The blow knocked me senseless just about sunset one evening. When I came to myself again, it was broad daylight, and everybody was gone, except one old woman who was tending me. She was half-crazed with grief because her husband and two sons had been killed, and another son, a boy, and a daughter had been taken away. I asked her where my young wife was. She answered that she, too, had been taken away eight or ten hours before, because the Arabs had seen the lights of a ship out at sea, and thought they might be those of a British man-of-war that was known to be cruising on the coast. On seeing these, they had fled inland in a hurry, leaving me for dead but killing the wounded before they went. The old woman herself had escaped by hiding among some rocks on the seashore, and after the Arabs had gone had crept back to the house and found me still alive. I asked her where my wife had been taken. She said she did not know but some others of our people told her that they had heard the Arabs say they were going to some place a hundred miles inland to join their leader, a half-bred villain named Hassan ben Mohammed, to whom they were carrying my wife as a present. Now we knew this wretch, for after the Arabs landed at Kilwa, but before actual hostilities broke out between us, he had fallen sick of smallpox, and my wife had helped to nurse him. Had it not been for her, indeed, he would have died. However, although the leader of the band, he was not present at the attack, being engaged in some slave-raiding business in the interior. When I learned this terrible news, the shock of it, or the loss of blood, brought on a return of insensibility, from which I only awoke two days later to find myself on board a Dutch trading vessel that was sailing for Zanzibar. It was the lights of this ship that the Arabs had seen and mistaken for those of an English man-of-war. She had put into Kilwa for water, and the sailors, finding me on the veranda of the house and still living, in the goodness of their hearts, carried me on board. Of the old woman they had seen nothing. I suppose that at their approach she ran away. At Zanzibar, in an almost dying condition, I was handed over to a clergyman in our mission, in whose house I lay desperately ill for a long while. Indeed, six months went by before I fully recovered my right mind. Some people say that I have never recovered it. Perhaps you are one of them, Alan. At last the wound in my skull healed, after a clever English naval surgeon had removed some bits of splintered bone, and my strength came back to me. I was and still am an American subject, and in those days we had no consul at Zanzibar, if there is one there now of which I am not sure, and of course no warship. The English made what inquiries they could for me, but could find out little or nothing, since all the country about Kilwa was in possession of Arab slave-traders, who were supported by a ruffian who called himself the Sultan of Zanzibar. Again he paused, as though overcome by the sadness of his recollections. 
did you never hear any more of your wife asked stephen yes mr somers i heard at zanzibar from a slave whom our mission bought and freed that he had seen a white woman who answered to her description alive and apparently well at some place i was unable to identify he could only tell me that it was fifteen days journey from the coast she was then in charge of some black people he did not know of what tribe who he believed had found her wandering in the bush he noted that the black people seemed to treat her with the greatest reverence although they could not understand what she said on the following day whilst searching for six lost goats he was captured by arabs who he heard afterwards were out looking for this white woman the day after the man had told me this he was seized with inflammation of the lungs of which being in a weak state from his sufferings in the slave gang he quickly died now you will understand why i was not particularly anxious to revisit kilwa yes i said we understand that and a good deal more of which we will talk later but to change the subject where do you come from now and how did you happen to turn up in just the nick of time i was journeying here across country by a route i will show you on my map he answered when i met with an accident to my leg here stephen and i looked at each other which kept me laid up in a kaffir hut for six weeks when i got better as i could not walk very well i rode upon oxen that i had trained that white beast you saw is the last of them the others died of the bite of the tsetse fly a fear which i could not define caused me to press forward as fast as possible for the last twenty-four hours i have scarcely stopped to eat or sleep when i got into the mazitu country this morning i found the kraals empty except for some women and girls who knew me again and threw these flowers over me they told me that all the men had gone to beza town for a great feast but what the feast was they either did not know or would not reveal so i hurried on and arrived in time thank god in time it is a long story i will tell you the details afterwards now we are all too tired what's that noise i listened and recognized the triumphant song of the zulu hunters who were returning from the savage scene in the market-place presently they arrived headed by sammy a very different sammy from the wailing creature who had gone out to execution an hour or two before now he was the gayest of the gay and about his neck were strung certain weird ornaments which i identified as the personal property of imbauzi virtue is victorious and justice has been done mr quatermain these are the spoils of war he said pointing to the trappings of the late witch-doctor out get out you little cur we want to know nothing more i said go cook us some supper and he went not in the least abashed the hunters were carrying between them what appeared to be the body of hans at first i was frightened thinking that he must be dead but examination showed that he was only in a state of insensibility such as might be induced by laudanum brother john ordered him to be wrapped up in a blanket and laid by the fire and this was done presently mavovo approached and squatted down in front of us macumazahan my father he said quietly what words have you for me words of thanks mavovo if you had not been so quick, Mbazi would have finished me. As it is, the knife only touched my skin without breaking it, for Dogita has looked to see. Mavovo waved his hand as though to sweep this little matter aside, and asked, looking me straight in the eyes, And what other words, Mokumazahan? As to my snake, I mean. Only that you were right and I was wrong, I answered shamefacedly. 
things have happened as you foretold how or why i do not understand no my father because you white men are so vain blown out was his word that you think you have all wisdom now you have learned that this is not so i am content the false doctors are all dead my father i think that imbozi i held up my hand not wishing to hear details mavovo rose and with a little smile went about his business what does he mean about his snake inquired brother john curiously i told him as briefly as i could and asked him if he could explain the matter he shook his head the strangest example of native vision that i have ever heard of he answered and the most useful explain there is no explanation except the old one that there are more things in heaven and earth etc and that god gives different gifts to different men then we ate our supper i think one of the most joyful meals of which i have ever partaken it is wonderful how good food tastes when one never expected to swallow another mouthful after it was finished the others went to bed but with a still unconscious hans for my only companion i sat for a while smoking by the fire for on this high table-land the air was chilly i felt that as yet i could not sleep for if no other reason because of the noise that the mazitu were making in the town i suppose in celebration of the execution of the terrible witch-doctors and the return of dogeeta suddenly hans awoke and sitting up stared at me through the bright flame which i had recently fed with dry wood moss he said in a hollow voice there you are here i am and there is the fire which never goes out a very good fire but baas why are we not inside of it as your father the predicant promised instead of outside here in the cold because you are still in the world you old fool and not where you deserve to be i answered because mavovo's snake was a snake with a true tongue after all and dogeeta came as foretold because we are all alive and well and it is imbozi and his spawn who are dead upon the posts that is why hans as you would have seen for yourself if you had kept awake instead of swallowing filthy medicine like a frightened woman just because you were afraid of death which at your age you ought to have welcomed oh baas broke in hans don't tell me that things are so and that we are really alive in what your honoured father used to call this gourd full of tears don't tell me baas that i made a coward of myself and swallowed that beastliness if you knew what it was made of you would understand baas for nothing but a bad headache don't tell me that dogeeta came when my eyes were not open to see him and worst of all that imbozi and his children were tied to those posts when i was not able to help them out of the bottle of tears into the fire that burns for ever and ever oh it is too much and i swear baas that however often i die henceforth it shall always be with my eyes open and holding his aching head between his hands he rocked himself to and fro in bitter grief well might hans be sad seeing that he never heard the last of the incident the hunters invented a new and gigantic name for him which meant the little yellow mouse who feeds on sleep while the black rats eat up their enemies even sammy made a mock of him showing him the spoils which he declared he had wrenched unaided from the mighty master of magic imbozi as indeed he had after the said imbozi was stone dead at the stake it was very amusing until things grew so bad that i feared hans would kill sammy and had to put a stop to the joke End of chapter eleven